You can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies, TV shows, and related media. And for this special Star Trek episode, we are really pleased to welcome a guest um, coming from Los Angeles all the way uh, via Skype, uh, is writer, producer, director and actor Vic Moniana. So welcome to the show, Vic. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me, you guys. It's a pleasure to join you. <laughs> no, absolutely. The pleasure is all ours. Um, we've, been, uh, we've been doing, there are certain franchises that we tend to do quite a lot of podcasts about. Um, Star Trek's obviously one of them, and then there's things like Star Wars and James Bond, amongst others. Ah. Um, we tend to come back to these purely because they were sort of touchstones of ours uh, growing up. And they're the sort of things that made us, you know, want to become filmmakers ourselves. And um, right. we right. recently did an episode on the Star Trek Mirror Universe, which is actually already out of date because, um, you know, we're getting Star Trek Weekly again, which is, which is great. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. um, right. but, while, but while I was doing the research for that... Um, I stumbled across a film uh, that you'd made called The Fairest of Them All, which was a Star yes. Trek fan film. Yes. And I started to unpeel the onion and uh, <laughs> realized what a massive, uh, you know, what a massive amount of Star Trek fan films there are out there in, in the universe, as it were. And I'm by no means an authority on them, but a lot of them that I've seen... Um, tend to be, you know, sometimes they've got quite good visual effects, they've got quite good sets and costumes, and even some of the ideas are cool, but often, you know, the other production values like the lighting yes. and, and the, yes. the audio, the editing, and, and certainly the acting is, is yes. sometimes not that up to par. But yes. um, what struck me with yours was, was I could see that this is an, an absolute labor of love, so... I wonder whether, before we get into those, whether you can just sort of wind right the way back and tell us a little bit about, um, you know, Star Trek and, and sort of your relationship with Star Trek. And how I know. would absolutely be honored to do so, my friend. Um, let me tell you, first of all, thank you for, for, uh, for the opportunity to join you guys. Um, my love affair with Star Trek started probably... 45 years ago <laughs> um 
I, uh, I, I found Star Trek as a little boy. I fell in love with it. In fact, I actually, I mean, I actually, I ate, slept and breathed that show. Like when I was a little boy, the original series of Star Trek moved me and inspired me in so many ways that to that point in my young 10, 11 year old life, I had never been so moved and inspired. I found myself making uniforms and getting my mom to let me use her sewing machine so I could make uniforms. And I found myself sitting in front of the television every day watching episodes while I was trying to build phasers and communicators out of anything I could find and rounding the kids in the neighborhood up and using my parents' movie camera to make episodes where I would play Captain Kirk and have all the friends in the neighborhood play the other characters and make them wear the uniforms I I'd built. And Star Trek really inspired me as a little boy to try things creatively that I never had before. So fast forward 40 years, and uh, over these last four decades, I started acting when I was very young because of Star Trek. Um, I started filmmaking and prop building and learning about techniques of production, film production. I majored in film in college. I'd been, I, can, I started acting in grade school and have been continuing up to this day. And about five years ago, ironically, um, I had been involved with some other fan productions purely because of my childhood love of Star Trek. But I, I came away from those other productions thinking, you know, this could be done so much better. Um, <laughs> while all of these other fan productions, meanwhile, while they certainly are expressing their love for Star Trek, as you said very eloquently, there were very all varying levels of quality, uh, and 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 that's not a that's not a slam. It's just a fact. You know, some people are good at certain things. Some people have skills and have developed skills and trained and studied and learned how to do different things, and some people haven't. So. While a lot of these other fan productions were were fun and they were expressing their love for Star Trek, they weren't actors. They 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 didn't know necessarily how to craft a story and and how to light a scene or how to block or edit a scene or uh, or they they themselves were not. Um, accomplished or experienced as actors. So I decided that I wanted to pay my own homage to Star Trek and write, as it were, a love letter to the show that inspired me when I was a little boy. So I started Star Trek Continues. And my goal was to make an episode as good as I could make one, to pour as much of my love and skill and experience over the years in acting and film production and editing and lighting and directing and storytelling and music and sound design and on and on the list goes to make the best Star Trek episode I could the way I remembered them, uh, the way they moved me. So I made an episode called Pilgrim of Eternity and uh, we released it. I didn't know if anyone would like it, but uh, people really enjoyed it. And so that began 
our series, and we've now to date uh, just completed 11 full-length episodes that effectively finish the five-year mission of the Enterprise. Yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, that, that was one of the things I, I particularly liked, uh, is, as many of our listeners will know, I was a... Uh, I grew up with the Star Wars, uh, sorry, the Star Trek, as well as the Star Wars, uh, the Star Trek movies. And, right. You, you know, I often, I often talk about my love of Star Trek, the motion picture, even though you oh, know, yeah. some people don't. And um, sure. what I particularly liked was the way you sort of managed to, uh, to, to bridge the end of the series, the end of the five-year mission into sort oh, of where they you. were going with, with the motion picture. And I thought that was, that was handled really well and i don't want to spoil anything too much for people that, that might <laughs> right. want to go back and watch these but um but but you know the whole thing you know the produ- the production value and the storytelling and all that i mean you even you even structured these like um a classic episode of star trek you know you had the different act outs and right. you used a lot of the same music and you even shot in the four to three aspect ratio yes i mean i yes. mean you, you know i i can as a filmmaker myself i i can really appreciate the um the the the, the level of work that, that that went into these productions um so so you know that that's why i thought it would be really interesting to get you on board but um, I've got to ask, and, and this is this is this is a bit of a, a novice um, question, I guess. Sure, but, uh, sure. You, you, you know, I, I've never really been too um, up on the whole fan fil- film side of things. I mean, when 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 right. I was when I was a kid and when I was growing up, you weren't actually, I think, allowed to make fan films. Obviously, that things things have become a lot more um, relaxed with that sort of thing. But but I mean, what what are the if you don't mind telling us, what, what are the rules in terms of how Paramount and CBS and, and everybody, you know, view these? Is it as long as you're not making a profit through it, it's fine? Well, or yeah, you, how hit does the, it work? You, hit the, you hit the nail on the head. Um, and, and this is, I, I must tell you, this is a bone of great contention, and I'll explain why. For the last 10 or 15 years... CBS has been very gracious in allowing fan films to be made and put out there expressing their love and passion for Star Trek under one very important line in the sand. And you just said it. You're not allowed to make money with somebody else's property. You can't just make Star Trek and then sell it. You can't you can't profit from somebody else's IP and As long as nobody did that, CBS was very gracious to allow fan films to flourish, actually. Because, as you meant, there have been dozens. There have been dozens of all varying levels of quality. But but they've all been allowed to exist as long as they didn't try to make money. Well, a couple of years back, uh, somebody came along who raised a massive amount of money to make a Star Trek film. I mean, we're talking about well over a million dollars. They raised this money to make a Star Trek film, and not only did they never make the film, but they paid themselves a salary, like they were some kind of professional producer-director. They flew around the world in first class, promoting a movie that they had not made. They ate a lot of fancy dinners, and they basically did what you are not allowed to do. They 
profited personally and, you know, used a lot of the money for themselves, all the while not making the thing that they had been given the money by the fans to make. Well, that basically crossed the line in the sand. (laughs) Uh, Actually, it wiped the line out completely. And uh, CBS was forced to act finally after all of those years of allowing fan films to flourish. CBS was forced to respond and protect their license. And so they brought a lawsuit against this fan production. And what came out of that lawsuit were a set of fan film guidelines. The guidelines greatly curtailed fan film's ability to do what we had heretofore been doing. Um, They couldn't be any longer than 15 minutes. They couldn't use any professionals. They couldn't raise more than a certain amount. There were a lot of of restrictions. And uh, Star Trek Continues was, I'm very sorry to say, collateral damage because of that that. because of that lawsuit so the good news though and this is the good news my friend the good news is that we we were able to finish what we intended to finish we i had always I, i had never intended to do this forever it was always my intention to finish the original series it was always my intention to make one more tv season and to leave all to leave the characters and the enterprise where they were when the motion picture picked them up. It was always my intention to bring some closure and finality to the original series, which you and your listeners probably know was just suddenly abruptly canceled in its third season. So the good news is that we were able to finish what we intended to do. We, we did what we set out to do, and that was finish the five-year mission. The bad news is that we wanted to do it in 13 episodes or 14 or 15 episodes, but we had to curtail it to 11. But we did finish the series. So I'm very grateful that we were able to. And to date, we have nearly 8 million views and and over a dozen awards won. Um, People have really really enjoyed and responded well to the series and i'm i'm so grateful no absolutely i mean um it's a shame that a that a few people have kind of ruined it for everybody else um you know yes it's kind of typical but um indeed it is uh, indeed it is i did notice that your last episode was actually a little bit longer it was about sort of 10 minutes longer than than most so um, well you know what the good the good thing about making a, a a web series like this is that you can make it as long as or short as you want to make it. Um, you know, back in the days of broadcast television, you had a certain amount of time in between each act and in between the commercial breaks, and you were very constrained by how long you could tell the story. Um, you couldn't turn in a 36-minute episode because it had to be longer, and you couldn't turn in a 55-minute episode, episode because it had to be shorter. But the good news about what we've done is, or but what we've been able to do is, we're, we can take as long or as short amount of time to tell the story we want to tell as possible. We don't have to pad the story to make it longer to fill a certain amount of time, and we don't have to cut the story to, uh, to fit a certain amount of time. So 
Uh, those the episodes that we've created are exactly as long as we felt they needed to be to tell the story we wanted to tell. I I just wanted to ask. I mean, um, you know, having watched the episodes and stuff, you you've gotten a very a lot of familiar faces in there from uh, from Star Trek and from other sort of sci-fi shows. And I was wondering, yes. um, were they through contacts of yours or did you contact them directly? How did you, how were you able to get so many people involved in, in the show? That's a great question. And it's a very easy answer. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but I, uh, I am a long time voice actor. I did see your credits. Mm. Yeah, by, by trade, I'm a voice actor. I've done over 300 different animated series and video games, and I've been voice acting for uh, nearly 20 years and have uh, have played uh, roles in, like I said, hundreds of, of animated series and video games, including shows like Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon and, and Full Metal Alchemist and Naruto and, and uh, Digimon and a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, because of the amount of work that I've done in that in that field, and because I've had the privilege to be a part of a lot of popular anime series, I've been invited to conventions and Comic-Cons and pop culture events to sign autographs and meet fans who like my voice work. And in the course of doing these conventions, I've become friends and met a lot of wonderful people like Lou Ferrigno, Aaron Gray, Claire Kramer, Gigi Edgeley, Nikia Baris, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Logan, uh, Lou, Fer- uh, on and on mm. the, 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 the list goes. And, and Lou uh, became a dear friend and I found out he was a Star Trek fan. And, and uh, in our second episode, we came up with a character that he was perfect for. And so each time, and, and like John Delancey and Ann Lockhart and on and on the list goes of people that I've met through the convention uh, appearances that I've done. And, uh, and when we had a character, uh, Colin Baker from Doctor Who, um, Nicola Bryant from Doctor Who, yeah. uh, Cass Anvar from The Expanse, all of these people were people that I'd met uh, through my convention appearances and when it came time that I needed somebody to play a role, because I had become friends with them, I would contact them and say, would you be interested in, in being a part of this? And they graciously agreed. It was not about money. It was not about paying them some big payday. It was just about making something special with a bunch of friends. I have to say, the casting in it is so spot on. I mean, a lot of the actors look like that they were would have appeared in the show Back in the sixties. Thank you. And you know what? Let me say. Let me say something else about that. I would be remiss not to mention our very first guest star and one of our most beloved guest stars. Uh, if you remember the original series episode about the Greek god Apollo, yes. Um, the 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 talented actor that played Apollo fifty years ago is Michael Forrest. And when I decided I wanted to make an episode, uh, I contacted Michael Forrest through another well-known classic Star Trek actress, Barbara Luna, who played Marlena (laughs) in the Mirror episode, actually, ironically, that you're talking about the Mirror Mirror episode. 
she was Kirk's love interest in in Mirror Mirror, and Barbara Luna and I were friends, and and she put me in touch with Michael Forrest, and I had lunch with him here in Los Angeles, and I sat across the table from him, and I said, Mike, I have an Apollo redemption story. And he graciously, I told him the story, he was intrigued, he graciously agreed to join us, and he and his wife, Diana, flew down to our studio in Georgia, and, uh, you know, four years ago, we shot our first episode, Pilgrim of Eternity, which was basically a sequel to Who Mourns for Adonais, the episode he had appeared in 50 years earlier. And Mike was our first guest star. He knocked it absolutely out of the park. He was so amazing. And, uh, and he was the one who kind of cr- helped us christen our series and, and got us off to such a strong start. Mm. Now, I, I have to ask, um, so when you were getting ready to do this first episode, what did you do to prepare to play the role? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> because can I tell you guys? Let me tell you guys something. Let me tell you something. You can't prepare to play an iconic role, <laughs> play an iconic role like Captain Kirk. Like, how the hell do you prepare to take on such an iconic role? Um, there was no preparation. Let me tell you what I did. Okay. I have loved Captain Kirk and Bill Shatner since I was 10 years old. Uh, My parents divorced when I was 10, right at the same time as I discovered Star Trek, and I fell in love and with this show and with that character, and Captain Kirk became very much of a father figure and role model to me. Um, I absorbed Bill Shatner's performance as Captain Kirk. And even when I started auditioning for school plays in grade school and high school and continued acting through college and and even after college, um, I I think I very much incorporated the style of Bill Shatner, his acting style, uh, into a lot of my acting style because I loved him and I loved what he did. So when it came time to play this role, I didn't prepare, as it were. I just basically tried to allow all of the love, all of the admiration, all of the reverence that I felt for Star Trek and Captain James Kirk to pour out of me as best as I could. Um, I didn't want to mimic him. Mm. God knows I certainly would never want to mock or for anyone to think that I was mocking or, or, or satirizing Shatner's uh, portrayal of Captain Kirk. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I told people before, and I'll tell you guys, I literally told my other uh, production people on set, I would take them aside and I would say, if you see me doing too much stereotype uh, Captain Kirk stuff, if it looks at all or sounds at all like I am in any way doing too much of the of that stereotype Kirk stuff, tell me, let me know immediately. 
And if I ever did, they would let me know and we would shoot the scene again. Because God knows I wanted to do nothing but honor and and pay tribute to Bill Shatner's version of Captain Kirk. We don't need another Captain Kirk. I mean, what mm. Shatner did with Captain Kirk is just perfect. So my desire was for the viewers of Star Trek Continues to feel like they were not watching some new guy's uh, impression of Captain Kirk or some new actor's take on Captain Kirk, but I wanted them to feel like they were watching a continuation of the Captain Kirk that they fell in love with, as I did. Oh, and it certainly shows. I mean, both both of us are, will agree on that. We thought the, the that your performance as Captain Kirk was like spot on. You know, yeah, it, thank you. But I have to say, so's the rest of the cast. All the other actors who were playing, all the other iconic characters. They 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 seem to embody those characters back in the day. It's uh, it's as again, it's just I think you've done a great job with the the casting. Well, yeah. thank you, and and I and you know that takes me back to one of the very first things you said at the beginning of this of this interview. You talked about um, the acting, mm. and that was something that I always felt was so horribly lacking in fan productions as well. Uh, and so when I started, when I decided to, to start this production, one of the foundational pillars, if you will, of of my production, I had already determined was going to be acting. I I was not going to tell shallow, lame stories about fighting Klingons and beaming down and 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 you know flipping open communicators and and some shallow fan servicey kind of a thing i wanted to find compelling thought provoking deep stories about morality and ethical issues and social commentaries which is exactly what made the original series so endearing and enduring in the first place and if you're going to tell those kind of stories you've got to have good actors and so yeah. I endeavored from the very, very beginning to find people uh, that were good actors that I felt like could tell those kind of stories. And people like Chuck Huber and Todd Habercorn and, and Michelle Specht and Grant Imahara and Chris Dewan and Wyatt Lenhart and Kim Stinger were the kind of people that I felt uh, could do those stories justice. And I'm so proud. I'm so very proud of what we've accomplished together. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, you absolutely should be. Um, what, what I felt <clears throat> um, sort of just expanding on what Simon was saying was you, you managed to find the, the, the essence of the character without sort of doing, like you said, a, a, a cheesy sort of Shatner impression or something. You know, you, right. you, you got you got the the essence of what the character was about. And I think all of the actors um you know, across the board had, had kind of found that. Um, so it was good. Uh, my, my comment to Simon uh, before um, he watched and went, when I when I said about this was, and I'll say it to you because I'm not embarrassed to say it. I, I said about you, I said, you looked you look less like a, um, a young William Shatner and actually more like an older Chris Pine. <laughs> which wow, is good, which works, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, but... Um, uh, I love that. I love that. I've never heard that. I've <laughs> well, never heard it, that before. But it, 
It was what uh, crossed my mind when I watched it. You know, it was kind of, but in in terms of, you know, finding the essence of the characters and, and obviously the, definitely the types of stories. I mean, I know you, you referenced, um, other episodes, like you said, some of them were a sequel to previous episodes. And obviously you foreshadowed things to come, which, which, which I like the way you handled like with the, um, the, the subtle introduction of the holodeck. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. The, yes. the, uh, um, the fact that, and, and I like the fact that you also added some new characters. So the fact that you bought a ship's counselor on, yes, um, yes. you know, and you had an original character here for, for, for the show, uh, again, kind of foreshadowing, you know, a hundred years on it's standard ship practice to have a exactly, counselor on exactly. board. So I, I love, I love the fact that you sort of tried out those things that weren't, overly winky but at the same time sort of homage the um the what was to follow as well so you know it, thank it was, you thank it was you. really good from from that from a geeky fan point of view i loved all that stuff well thank you <laughs> you guys you guys uh, you're spot on i mean you um what, what your your observations are are right on the mark yeah um you know i took all of these all of these actors that i brought into this series are personal friends of mine okay uh, Todd and Chuck, who play Spock and McCoy, are dear friends and fellow voice actors uh, with me, and they're great actors in of their own right. And when I brought them in, I said, look, I know you're a great actor, but I don't want you to do your own thing. <laughs> uh, I want you, I want you to, I want people to feel like they're watching the Spock and McCoy, you know, that they remember. Um, that's what's going to make this work mm-hmm. is making it feel like it is a continuation had the series never been canceled. Hence the title <laughs> Star <Yes>. Trek continues. <laughs> uh, it's not Star Trek reborn. Mm. It's not Star Trek reimagined. You know, it's not, uh, you know, Star Trek, a new generation. It's the same Star Trek and, and only continued as if it had not been canceled so i'm very very proud of what everybody has done yeah we we actually we actually said as well todd uh who who did a great job as spock but in terms of you know obviously it's a little bit jarring initially because he's he's of course not he's a great actor but he's not a dead ringer for leonard nimoy right but right we, we right. kind of felt that he looked like commander sonax from the motion picture ah you know what <laughs> Which, i can see that i can see that and you know what let me say something can i say something about that yes let, let me let me say something about that yeah sure which is more important that they oh, look actor. like the character. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is it more important that they look like Leonard Nimoy, mm. but they can't act their way out of a wet paper bag? Or is it more important that they're, they just look, they look okay. And they're a killer actor. They're a killer. Obviously. Actor. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they all, they all and embodied so, it. They, and plus exactly. you had obviously the makeup and the wardrobe and the hairstyles and whatever exactly. were, were close enough that, that, that you exactly. can obviously look past the fact that, Oh, that isn't DeForest Kelly, but it doesn't matter. Cause, cause he's a great actor. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you see that's, can I tell you something? Yeah. That's the difference between a filmmaker and a fan. You know, there are people out there that would go, well, I'm going to make a Star Trek thing and I want to find somebody that looks as much like, Leonard Nimoy as possible. Well, good luck. I mean, you can try to find somebody that looks like him, but what if he's not a good actor? 
If he's yeah. not a good actor, then it's not going to matter. After about 30 seconds, it's not going to matter how much he looks like Leonard Nimoy. People are going to turn it off because they can't bear to watch how bad the acting is. So, so um, you know, Todd is a, is a dear friend of mine. And when he... When, when I was thinking about him for this role, and he even auditioned for it, he's much younger than Leonard Nimoy was, and he, he doesn't look as much like Leonard Nimoy, but he's a good, a really good actor. And so, since, as I told you, that was one of my, uh, you know, foundational goals from the very beginning, I cast him in this role because I knew he would be a good actor and I knew he would be able to dramatically handle anything that any script threw at him. And he most certainly did. No, he did. Uh, what I found was after like, literally after about a minute of, of, of getting into it, I completely forgot, you know, he was yes. that good that I, I believe that this was Spock. Um, yes. It was only, it's only initially you, of course you can't help but make, comparisons i think that's of that's, course. that's human nature you know and particularly of as course. i watched i watched mirror mirror back to back with um the fairest of them all so oh, i, I literally great, and, and i love the fact that you recreated like the last scene of that <laughs> as as your as your teaser as your opener oh, thank and you. um thank you and, and yeah you know you know it really worked and my god the 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 girl definitely was a dead ringer for Barbara oh Luna. Oh my gosh, right? My God, right? I was like, oh. it's, it's a young Barbara Luna. What's going on? But yes. yeah, that was perfect. So, um, yes. but, uh, but again, a fantastic actress as well. Um, with, with regards to the cast, we got to talk though about Chris Doohan because oh, again, yes. this is another sort of stroke of genius with this whole thing. Yeah. Um, getting the son of to, to sort of jump into his dad's shoes as it were. Um, yes. How, how, did, I mean, did that take a lot of convincing or was Not he... at all. Let me tell you how that came about. This is okay. really interesting. Um, I knew Chris from Facebook. You know, I'm a, I'm a Star Trek fan and I, I, I knew him from Facebook. I'd never met him, but I knew him from Facebook. And, and I contacted him on Facebook and I said, would you be willing to meet me for lunch? And, uh, and he agreed, and so we met for lunch, and I told him what I was doing. And he had been approached before, but um, Chris works in the medical field. He's not like a professional actor. But, uh, but I, I impressed upon him the quality of what we were going to do. I said, this is, if I have my way, this is not going to be like any other fan production. It's going to be a, of a much higher level of production value and storytelling. And I would like you to be a part of it. And he agreed. And he came down and we shot Pilgrim of Eternity. And I have to tell you something. And I hope, I don't think Chris is going to mind because Chris and I are very dear friends. And he knows how much I love him. And I've told this story before, but he was really nervous. As you might imagine, like <laughs> stepping into your father's shoes and playing an iconic role like that. He was really nervous. And uh, and I coached him through the first episode and he did, you know, if you do all you have to do is watch the first episode and it's, you know, he's amazing. He's 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 fantastic. He does his father proud. And after the first episode, Chris called me and he said, "Look, I know I was horrible. 
I know I was nervous. Um, if you want to recast me, I totally understand. And I started laughing. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? Dude, you were born to do this. Like, your dad is in your veins. And you are such a natural for this. I don't want you, I, I would, I don't want to recast you at all. And every, every episode, Chris got better and better and more and more confident and, and, you know, more and more at home. And, uh, and he just did such an amazing job and his entire family, by the way, uh, have told him how proud they are of what he's done and how, and I know how proud his dad would be of what he's done. Yeah. Continued the legacy as it were. So, yes. Hmm. Cool. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, sort of while we're on the cast and whatever, I, I like the, um, I like the fact that you also kind of brought back a minor character that had appeared in, uh, where no man has gone before, you know, the, ah, the yes. um, yeoman Smith, Yes, <laughs> which he mistakenly <laughs> calls Jones or whatever, you know, but, yes, uh, yes. but I, 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 and, and what I liked is there was, you kind of, I was going to ask, did you have in mind where that was going to start with? Or is it because, because, because it obviously, and again, I don't want to give away major spoilers in case people listening haven't seen the show yet, but it ties in absolutely perfectly with the last episode. And I just wondered whether that trajectory had already been planned by you or whether that was a no, bit of a happy no. And I, no, I will confess to you freely that it did not. Um, Kipley Brown, who is a lovely, talented actress who plays Smith, um, she came on board, pardon the pun, she came on board with our production um, for episode three, for the Mirror, the Mirror sequel, Fairest of Them All. That was her first appearance on our show. And the reason that she was even involved was because uh, the guy that directed that episode... James Kerwin, that was that was his introduction to being part of our team, and he was good friends with Kipley, and he called me one day and he said, "Hey, I have a friend. She was actually in, I think it was Voyager. Uh, played a small role, in, I think, in Voyager. I think in Enterprise. And, uh, I think or it was, was it Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, Enterprise. I think so. She, yeah. yeah, okay. She she played a small role in Enterprise, and she would love to come." And, and be involved. Is it okay, you know, or is it okay with you if she, if she comes and she could play this role of, of Smith in this episode? And I said, sure. So Kipley came down and she, she joined us for the, for episode three and we fell in love with her so much. And she was so great that from that point on, <laughs> we just kind of started writing her in two two episodes and the character became more and more a regular part of the crew and uh and then as you said without giving any spoilers away factors very prominently in our series finale yeah <laughs> no, I, know, guess and, I, I really and, don't know, want to and, ruin it for anyone but yeah <laughs> no 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 neither neither do i but i hope that that will i hope that that will encourage people to go and check it out but 
um, to see what we're talking about. But, you know, somebody else that I want to mention is Grant Imahara. Um, while we're talking about cast, Granny Mahara, most people know from Mythbusters. Um, and Grant's an amazing, amazing, mm. wonderful guy and a huge Star Trek fan. And I was at a party with Grant and I showed him pictures of the sets that we were building. And this was before we ever shot an episode, before I'd cast all the roles. And I showed him these pictures and he was like, oh my gosh. I would love to see these sets. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And as we were talking, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I haven't cast Sulu yet. And so I asked Grant if he would be interested. And he said, absolutely. And he's he's been wonderful uh, and done such an amazing job playing the role of Sulu. I have to ask about the sets because that was the first thing that struck me was it, it looked like you had jumped in a time machine and gone back to exactly the, uh, how long yes. did it take you to to build the sets and you know what was the process was it it took probably oh I would say at least five or six months probably right um, to build them but you know I want to say something about the sets mm -hmm. they are beyond beautiful. And we spent an enormous amount of time researching, measuring, uh, um, searching and, and scouring the internet and still images for sizes and dimensions and colors and textures and materials um, to make those sets as spot on to the original as we could make them. But I want to say something that you as a filmmaker will completely understand. Mm -hmm. We made the sets perfect so that you could forget them. Mm. A lot of fan productions will spend so much time building a set, but then the actors standing in front of the sets are not strong, and the story is not that strong. And after about 30 seconds, it doesn't matter that the sets look so cool because you just can't get past the bad acting. Mm. Once again, yeah, once no, again, yeah. it brings mm. us right back to where we started. Acting, 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 story, story, story. Those are what matter. And the whole reason that we spent the amount of time and effort we did to make those sets as authentic as possible was so that the moment that they come on screen, the audience goes, holy crap. And they look around the, they look around the, the screen and they, they, they look at all of the details and the colors and the shapes and the sizes of the set. And they go, Oh my gosh, I'm there. I am back on the original Enterprise, and once they do that, once they accept that you have taken them there, then they accept that they're in that setting, and they allow you, they give you permission to tell them a story. Yeah. The problem yeah, no, I, is, and what a lot of people that are not filmmakers don't understand, is that if the sets were not accurate if they didn't look right, then the audience would forever be struggling 
with the fact that it just didn't look right. Hmm. And they would never fully release themselves into the story. So yeah. you you create you create believable authentic sets purely for the purpose of the audience accepting that they are there and then allowing you to uh, to tell them the story. Can you tell me about where was it like a uh, where where were they built? I mean, was it like I, I could I mustn't have been like a studio because they must have been standing for quite a few years. Oh yeah, they've been standing ever since we built them. We yeah. have we had an eighteen thousand square foot uh, building that we rented in South Georgia, and uh, that's where we built them. And we paid the rent on this building. It was ju- it was just a big empty warehouse and we rented the building and we bought all the raw materials and we uh, drew up all the floor plans and just started building and uh, finished them and have been shooting our series on them over the last four years and as we speak right now they are still they're standing right down there and in fact I was just there last weekend I went down there last weekend for no reason whatsoever but just to see them because ah. I love them and spent so much time personally down there building and painting and sawing and sanding and nailing and, and working on them. And uh, they are an amazing sight to behold. It's, it is a euphoric experience unlike anything you can imagine to, uh, to walk through those corridors. Is, is the intention to keep them? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely. So I'm already thinking of my next trip to the States. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it would be, it would be an absolute tragedy hmm. for them to be torn down. And so we've been working very hard on different possibilities to, uh, to keep them standing and, you know, and to keep them intact where they are. Oh, I, I imagine there would be a lot of people who would just love to stand in the middle of it. Yes, and you are correct. Mm. And you know what's really amazing is that we followed the original studio floor plan. In other words, they are laid out and interconnected exactly the way they were in the original series. Had you gone to the Paramount lot in 67, 68, 69 and been able to get on the lot, you would you would you would find that our studio is laid out exactly the way the original was and um, all of the rooms are connected to the corridor with the bridge set off by itself um, in the corner. And uh, once you step, once you walk, once the turbo lift doors open at the, at the one end of the, of the corridor, once they open, you're in it. Like you are in it um, until you exit out the other end, it's 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 quite a quite a <laughs> an an indescribable experience. One of my favorite things is walking people through the sets and giving them a tour myself, and and taking them in and watching their eyes light up for the first time. And as they turn each corner and walk into the transporter room, or turn a corner and walk into the briefing room, or turn a corner and walk into the sick bay you know it's uh 
It's one of my favorite things. No, I mean, it, it is truly amazing. And, and I, I obviously agree entirely with everything you say regarding, you know, it's about sort of story and character and acting first. Absolutely. But at the same time, if the if the sets and the costumes and the visual effects and what whatever weren't good, you know, you'd get some Star Trek, you know, fans out there saying, "Well, they got the they got that panel on the bridge wrong, or exactly. they, you know, they got they got the Enterprise's nacelle wrong, or what whatever, exactly. you know." And 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 the fact that you've you know you've not only, as I said, you've not only got great acting and, and good storylines, but the the fact that you've got everything else spot on is the thing that exactly that made See, this stand out to me. Every, exactly, exactly, Keith. Every single one of those of those elements has the potential to take someone out of the story. Every at, at any number of points, you could ruin it. Bad lighting, bad sound, bad sound effects, bad editing, uh, poor story, poor dialogue, poor acting, poor uh, makeup. You know what I mean? Costumes. Mm-hmm. I mean, at any at any number of different points, there are so many factors that go into making something of quality, and people that are not involved in the industry don't really understand that. Yeah. A lot of people no. think if you just put on a Star Trek uniform and hold a phaser and and stand in front of a of something that looks like a like a Star Trek set, you know, that it's Star Trek. And, and that's no, there are a large number of um, a large number of things that have to be done, and they have to be done well. Um, or at any point along the process, the you know the the project can fail. No, indeed, indeed. I mean, we, we're in no doubt at all that from a from a creative standpoint, um, you, you, you know, it, it's it's really difficult to uh, to fault this in in any way shape or form because like like we said the story the the visual effects the acting all of that holds together really well um i do want to ask about or i want to move on a little bit to to sure. the, the practical side of things now sure of, obviously i know you made 11 episodes over a five-year period um y- y- you know how i mean they obviously needed some budget and I appreciate, you know, you weren't sure. um, making uh, any any profit or anything out of this. But h- right. how did it how did it work exactly? I mean, did you do like a a sort of um, uh, crowd fund and then make you know like a couple of episodes at a time? Or h- that's how exactly, exactly what that we work? did. Okay. I will tell you. I will tell you exactly how these episodes were 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 financed. The first episode. Well, let's go back even before the first episode. Before you shoot, before you shoot an episode, you have to have sets, right? Yes. Yeah, before you did. You a, shoot, I saw your little vignette films that you did, and it picked up right from the end of, uh, you know, Turnabout Intruder uh, or whatever. Intruder, yeah. yeah. But yeah. before you make anything, before you shoot anything, you have to build the sets, right? Absolutely. And before you shoot anything, you have to have costumes, right? Um, so there were several things that had to be built and 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 uh, compiled before we shot anything. Well, myself and another gentleman named Stephen Dengler, who uh, actually plays Drake 
security chief. Oh, security guard. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, (laughs) Stephen Dengler and I, out of our own pockets, financed the renting of the studio, the building of the sets, and the shooting of the first episode. I felt like it was unethical for me to ask fans to give me thousands of dollars to make something that I had, that they had no proof I could do. Mm. I, I felt like it was just wrong for me to ask people to give me money for something that they had no reason to believe that I could do or do well. So I thought, well, if there was ever a quintessential opportunity to put your money where your mouth is, as they say, this would be the opportunity. This would be the time for me to to put my own money into making this labor of love. And so I did. I paid to fly everybody to the studio. I paid to put them in hotel rooms. I paid to feed them. <laughs> um, we paid our own money to make the first episode, to build the sets and then make the first episode. And then after we released the first episode, then after the first episode was so well received, then we launched a crowdfunding campaign. We launched a Kickstarter, or as we called it, a Kirkstarter. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we launched a, 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 a Kickstarting campaign to make three more episodes. We raised the money, and we made two, three, and four. Then we launched another crowdfunding campaign, and we raised the money to make five, six, and seven. And then we launched another crowdfunding campaign to make eight, nine, ten, and eleven. We launched three crowdfunding campaigns, and the money that was donated, every freaking penny of it... (laughs) went into making this series. Now, oh, yeah, it shows. Yeah. Let me let me give you a financial perspective that I that hopefully will blow your minds. The original series of Star Trek in the 60s, do you happen to know what their budget per episode was? No. I've no idea. I know it was the most expensive series at the time. Um, it was. But, yeah, it was. I, no and I will tell you and I will give you the numbers so from now on you will forever know how much they were. Their budget per episode was roughly $115,000 per episode. Right. Now, this was in the late 60s. Do you know how much that is in today's dollars? Uh, I dread to think. (laughs) Well, let me save you the trouble. It's over a million. Yeah. Now, I just want you to hold that number in your mind. A million dollars to make an episode of Star Trek of 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 uh, comparable quality of to the original series. Okay. Yeah. Now you may or may not know this, but Star Trek: The Next Generation in the eighties, their budget was a million dollars per episode. Yeah. So a million dollars. Yep. Let's just <laughs> let's just use that magic number: a million dollars per episode. Right. We've made all of our episodes for anywhere from forty to eighty thousand dollars. 
Wow. That's amazing. For an entire hour-long episode with full cast, full crew, music effects finished out the door. We're talking about less than one-tenth of what it would cost if you were to actually, you know, pay to make one. Mm. That's a lot of Now, the reason, exactly, and (laughs) that's exactly what I was about to say. The reason we were able to do that is because everybody involved did it because they loved being a part of it. They knew they were a part of something special. And as long as we covered expenses, like, you know, Chris Dewan didn't have to buy his own plane ticket, Mm. right? I mean, we, as long as we were able to cover the expenses to bring everybody down and, and, and give them a place to sleep and give them some food to eat. But apart from that, nobody, even our guest stars didn't make any big payday. And that's how we were able to make episodes that are of arguably, and this is these are not my words, these are the words of thousands of fans, mm. arguably comparable to the original series. I, I'd agree with that statement. For, I'm, not, I'm not blowing smoke up you, but I would agree with that statement. I mean, the quality is comparable to the original series. series but, yeah. And the re- the remastered original series, I might add, you know, with the new, Thank you. new effects. So, yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. so we were able to make episodes comparable to the quality of the original series for less than one-tenth of what it would have cost. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I, like, I, like I always say, to I, I, I teach or used to teach uh, film production, and uh, I always used to say to the students that, even if you're getting all your cast for free and, you know, you're, you, you, you know, you've got the kit that we provide, et cetera, et cetera. You still got to pay for the three L's as I always called it, which was, uh, locations, logistics, and lunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 there's, you've got to feed people. That's really right. important, you know, right, and you've got right, to get right. them from you know A what? to B. Yeah. You know. Exactly. <laughs> you, you, exactly. You know what? United Airlines may really like what we're doing, but you still have to pay them to yeah. fly uh, to to buy an airline ticket. You know what I mean? Like uh, hotels down in Georgia, a few miles down the street from our studio, they really like what, what we're doing, and they even gave us a really good rate. But they didn't let us stay for free. No. Um, no. There are things that cost money, and those are the hard costs of of producing anything. And, uh, but we were, we, I'll tell you what, man, we made the most of every dollar we were given. And I would even dare say we over delivered. Um, we would tell fans. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, did you see, did you see episode five? I've watched all of them. (laughs) Yes. I've watched all of them. The civil, okay. The civil, (laughs) let's talk about the civil war episode. (laughs) Was that a reenactment? gang that you sort of got okay. together yes with, yeah? yes yeah. they were <laughs> yes ex- that's exactly right but here's yeah. the thing and you know and you know how much it costs us to have that reenactment gang come and be in our episode well they probably did it for free right because that's exactly. kind of what they do so yeah exactly. yeah I've, I've worked on all a film it, where we did the same thing so yeah exactly <laughs> all it cost us was the cost of lunch yeah yeah and then and then we actually my my director of photography and myself got in a car and drove about two hours from our studio and we scheduled the shooting of this episode to coincide with a big Civil War reenactment. 
that was happening the same weekend. And we went up there with our camera and we shot B-roll of dozens of horses riding around and cannons being fired and hundreds of actors charging across a battlefield. And then we intercut it with our episode to, to make the production value seem off the charts, something you, we could have never paid to have done. No, absolutely. And you're, you're so lucky you get to be not only Captain Kirk, but you get to be in a Western as well. Blimey, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> but I mean, this is a lesson for anybody who wants to, to get into filmmaking is that you can do a, if, if you plan it correctly, you can get, you can, you can make it look a lot bigger than it actually is. You are so right. Yeah. You are so right. I mean, you just saying about how you planned it around somebody else's event. I mean, I've I've done similar things. Like, um, I've I've worked on films where you know they want to do a party scene, and of course they try and get all their friends to turn up, and of course it's hardly anybody. So, what I did was I asked a friend who was holding a party, could I come and film there? So it was just me and the actors and the the guests. And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? Um, in our final episode. You know the scene in the Starfleet Auditorium? Yes. Okay, we shot that at the local high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> we shot that in the local high school at their auditorium. I went over there and 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 met with the theater director of this high school and got him to agree to give us an hour in their in their theater. In their in their uh, their auditorium in their high school auditorium, and we descended upon that auditorium with all of our cast and crew, about thirty five of us or forty of us, and I put everybody in every single uniform we could find, mm -hmm. and we locked the camera down on the stage at a high angle, looking out into the audience, and then we had all thirty five people sit down, and then I talked them through the. I took them through the, the, the paces of, okay, everybody applaud. Now everybody stop applauding. <laughs> now everybody look at each other. Oh, my gosh, Captain Kirk just walked out on stage. Oh, my God, what is he wearing? Look at each other. Mumble. Pajamas. <laughs> you know, mumble, mumble to each other. Now stand up slowly and start to disperse. And I talked them, took them through the paces. Mm. And then we would pause the camera and we would move those 40 people back four rows and say, okay, now, everybody mix yourselves up, sit by somebody different, and sit down. And we did that eight times, and then we combined all of those eight shots to fill the auditorium with the same 40 people over and over and over again. You had your 400 crew. Yeah, and absolutely. Exactly. And then we gave that and then we gave that shot to a very good friend of ours named John Knoll, who you may or may not oh, know yeah. yes. is from, from ILM. Yeah. He is a fan of our show. And John Knoll himself created that auditorium that is surrounding our cast. Oh, wow. That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. I, that is amazing. I, I, I must admit, I, I, I knew there was some digital manipulation had gone on but i didn't realize it was so much because it, yeah yeah oh it, yeah it, it looked like you 
maybe just doubled the crowd but i didn't realize you like uh you know oh yeah eight, yeah literally that eight, is literally eight times there were eight layers eight layers of of uh of our of our cast there in fact in one of them i put on i even put on a uh, a jumpsuit and a and a blonde beehive <laughs> girls i put on a, a blonde beehive girls wig and i'm sitting in there somewhere okay wow. there you go so you even got to play a woman you, you, yes. you took that turnabout <laughs> intruder to the whole level didn't you absolutely uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, so there's a little Easter egg in there. <laughs> I've, I've also got to ask, I mean, obviously we, we've, we've got some listeners who are, who are big Star Trek fans, but we've also got a lot of our listeners are actually filmmakers. So yeah, can we talk about, I mean, first of all, you know, what, what did you actually shoot this on and how big was your crew and, you know, absolutely, all of those sort of absolutely. I love talking about the technical side of this. Absolutely. Um, we shot our entire series on a Sony F3. Yep. Uh, our DP, uh, it was our DP's uh, camera, and he had uh, a great collection of of, uh, of lenses. We basically either used an 18, 24, 35, 50, or 85 millimeter lenses. Um, those were our go-to lenses. The 85 was our close-up lens. Uh, you know, we'd shoot a scene, and then I'd say, okay, baby, throw on the 85. <laughs> let's uh, let's shoot the close-up here. You get your um, act-out moment, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, we ha- our, our crew, our production team, was probably, I would say, uh, if, you in- if you include the cast, if you include the cast and crew, probably 30 or 40 people. And I'll tell you something, I, I, I have to say something at this moment about that. You know, one of the things about fan productions is if they make more than one episode, if they're fortunate enough to make two or three or four or five, they're always different people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because you just can't get people to come and do the same thing over and over and over again for no money. You just oh, can't get them to do it. Yeah. We know well. <laughs> they'll they'll do it. They'll do it once. You know what I mean? They'll do it once just to say they did it, to to have the experience or to enjoy, you know, being a part of it one time. They'll do it once. But the chances of getting them to come back twice or three times are very slim. Much less eleven <laughs> times. And I am very proud and humbled to tell you that with the exception of about four people, we have had no attrition. The very same people that made Pilgrim of Eternity four years ago are the same people that made To Boldly Go parts one and two. We have had the same cast and crew with a very, very, very few necessary exceptions. We have had the same cast and crew, same makeup, same camera team, same makeup team, same wardrobe team, same prop team, same lighting team, same on and off set construction, all the same people for the entire run of our series. Now, if that does not speak to the quality, the integrity, 
you know, and the and the character of the people involved in this production, I don't know what does. Oh no, I mean, if the the thing is, if if you treat people really well and they feel appreciated and you know and they enjoy what they're doing, I mean, it's they 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 will come back. It's usually, um, I have put it politely, but usually it's a, a sh- showing that maybe the the production may not be so uh, thoughtful of other people when it's uh, right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, everybody, here's the thing. Everybody in our production, every single person always knew from the get go before we ever, before they ever did anything, mm-hmm. everybody knew exactly what they were getting into. Yeah. Everybody knew that this was a labor of love. Everybody knew that there was no money to be made. But they also knew that it was something very special. And I will tell you, we really created a family uh, with Star Trek Continues. And we would come together twice a year for about a week to 10 days at a time, each time, to shoot an episode. And it was like a family reunion. We never had any dramas. We never had any disasters. We never had any big fights or feuds. Um, virtually everybody involved was so happy to be a part of this team and cared about the people involved so much and thoroughly cherished every minute making these episodes. We had a blast. I don't know if you guys have had the chance to watch the blooper reels of our episodes they're all on our website at StarTrekContinues.com, but all you have to do is watch the bloopers from every episode to see how much fun we had mm. making these these things behind the scenes. Oh, it certainly looked like people were having a lot of fun. I mean, I, I imagine as well for the actors having to sort of do stuff in a kind of old style of acting. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I imagine it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I, I must admit, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of your guest stars as well. I mean, I was so glad to see Erin um, uh, Gray in there playing uh, Commodore right. Gray, um, right. in a couple of episodes. You know, obviously a, a Butt Rogers fan as well from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. uh, and, you know, the fact that you, you know, you, you got so many, um, so many sort of recognizable faces from, from you know, the, the sort of genre um, yes, and you know what? That's something that I wanted to do. I, I, I didn't want to necessarily bring, oh, Star Trek uh, alumni. You know what I mean? I, hmm. I didn't want to just like uh, limit it to Star Trek people. I thought, wouldn't it be fun to bring people from all different popular TV franchises from years gone by? Uh, you know, whether it be Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, or Farscape, or... Or uh, the Incredible Hulk, or Star Wars, or Doctor Buck Rogers, Who. or Doctor yeah. Who. Oh, you got uh, Jamie yeah. Bamber in there as well, didn't yes, you? Yes, Battlestar Galactica. In the in the Apollo episode, which I love yes, that sort of yes. in, in joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? And and Rekha Sharma. Well, I was going to ask Rekha about Sharma. that. Yeah, Rekha because Sharma obviously from the new Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Well, and also she's of course in in Star Trek Discovery. Yes, she so, is. Yes, uh, she is. You know, that, you know what? That's a bit of a coup, she, right? <laughs> it, it is, isn't it? And you know what? We shot that episode 
before she was ever cast. We shot and released that episode, and it was actually out. Um, we had just released that episode about a month earlier, and she called me and said, "You are not going to believe what I just booked. What I just booked a role on." <laughs> um, and and yeah, how cool is that? And That's you know great. what else? We have we have several friends. Uh, um, Doug Jones uh, is a very dear friend of mine. Uh, Jason Isaacs, who plays Captain Lorca, is a very dear friend of mine. Um, you got some cool friends, absolutely. Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying that I've had the privilege to become friends with these people, and now here they are, yeah, making the newest official installment of Star Trek, and and it's really, it's really a thrill to 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 know these people, and especially Reka. I mean, goodness gracious, you know. No, that, and that was a cool episode as well. I, I, I really did like that one. Um, yes. But uh, what, what I also liked, again, you, you did it sort of subtly and respectfully, but um, you, you kind of were able to do what uh, like Manny Koto kind of did in, in the fourth season of, of Enterprise. And that was, you know, fix some things that fans ah. for years have been annoyed about. Because <laughs> I, I, I did like the... Uh, the James R. Kirk. Yes. Uh, the fact that it was a bit of a throwaway line, but it did make me laugh. And also the well, whole had, insignia you know thing, you know. You know what? <laughs> it had to be a throw. You know what? It had to be a throwaway line because yes, it's yeah. not important. It's not important enough to give it a big billboard. So when we talked about it, as we were working on the script and making changes, and we talked about uh, 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 fixing that bit of fan. Uh, that bit of fan uh, hubbub over the years, uh, you know, we decided, well, if we're going to do it, it's got to be a throwaway. It's got to be it something just like, hell, he didn't even remember my middle name. <laughs> so, um, and, and so, yeah, thank you. I, my gosh, you guys, you guys have caught a lot of the things that we, that we, uh, you know, you, you've, you've noticed a lot of the things. Well, one of the we, things I was really blown away one of the things I was really blown away by because of how it would fit in, and this, this is not this is not too spoilery, because uh, obviously there are some big surprises in the final episode. But um, what I did like is when you finally meet Admiral Nagura from the motion picture, you know, as it mentioned in the motion picture, and you have yes. that great scene with Kirk and him. What I liked is, um, you, you know, you know, you had the models, you had the. Uh, the the, the mm. Phoenix and the NX01 and the Kelvin, but you also yes. had Discovery in there on yes. the model shelf. Yes. And I was like, oh man, how cool is that that you've actually managed? Yes. Was was that something cause cause presumably you you were filming this sort of well, it kind of before at the same time that they were making Discovery. Is it that you just happened to to find out about the model or something and, and be able to insert it in there? How, how, how did, yes, how did that, that is work? exactly that is exactly right. We had a friend, a friend of our series, who was working on Discovery at the time. It hadn't been released yet. There wasn't any public information really. Um I mean, there, there. I think there might have been one or two uh, very indefinite shots of the discovery, but nothing really. Hmm. And but we had we had a friend of of our series who was working in the effects department. They were working in the CGI 
department for Discovery. And as we were preparing to shoot the episodes, writing the script and deciding what we were going to do with different scenes, I wanted, I mean, I, I had wanted to have in that scene with Nagura, Kirk says, what about the Enterprise? And Nagura kind of, uh, he kind of nods over his head. And I wanted to have, in fact, before we even crafted that, um, you know, Nagura was going to say the Enterprise is going to be rebuilt, refit and rebuilt. And as we were talking about it way months and months before we shot it, I seem to remember that I said to one of our production people, wouldn't it be cool if there was a model of the motion picture enterprise on the shelf that Nagura could basically nod to and Kirk, we could have this iconic shot of Kirk looking at what the enterprise was going to look like when she was rebuilt. And that's how it started. And then it developed from there of, wait a minute, why don't we have a, a display of all of the ships starting with, you know, the warp ship and then, you know, and have it, have Kirk walk along that, that row of ships and then end with the motion picture enterprise. And then somebody said, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be a great nod if we had the Kelvin ship in there and the discovery? Well, then we started talking about, okay, where do we get these models? Well, the little five inch models of most of the other ships were available, Mm. but what was not available was the discovery. There was very, very limited information about it. But I talked, I, I called our friend who worked on Discovery, and he literally sent us the model, at least as it looked like at the time, and we had it 3D printed to scale with the other models and, and included it in the, in the display. Oh, it was fabulous. Yeah. I, I, I was so delighted to see that. And then, of course, you <laughs> Thank also... Thank you for noticing. Thank yeah, you for and, noticing. You, and you also fixed the whole thing about the bloody Starfleet insignia. Uh, I like yes! the way you addressed that yeah. as well. I was like, oh, that, that that's brilliant because, you, you know, obviously um, Discovery has, has caused a whole load of, uh, you, you, you know, fan uh upheaval and conversation about that and the fact that you just said oh we're going back to it or or the admiral said we're going back to it i exactly. thought well, that's perfect it were, <laughs> it makes total sense now exactly <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> exactly you know what i have to give credit i have to give credit to james Kerwin. he is uh he's oh, one your of director. our producers yeah yeah he's well he's one of our, our producers he's directed a handful of our episodes but he's one of our producers and he's kind of our resident, he's one of our resident geniuses. He he knows so much about references and uh, and and uh, details from the original series. And um, I just I love him to death. And he came on board, like I said, with uh, I I actually played a role in a short film that he made, and that's how he and I became friends. And then after I directed the first episode and kind of directed the second episode, I didn't want to keep doing it because it was just too much work. I, I, I didn't feel like I was able to concentrate 
on being executive producer and playing Captain Kirk and writing scripts and directing. Um, And so I asked James if he would direct our third episode. I told him the story and asked him if he would write the script based on my story. And he agreed if I would let him direct it, which I happily agreed to. So he directed it. And then from that point on, he was a part of our family and he, he directed um, several of the subsequent episodes. But, but James knows so much about the original series and uh, all of the series, in fact, that he was instrumental in bringing a lot of those references and a lot of those things into the, into the scripts. It shows. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just talking about that final episode, the 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 one that will touch. I, I I really liked was the fact that when the Enterprise went to dry dock, you you had the little astronaut outside who was sort of doing the waving. <laughs> from I, I imagine he hung around for a long time so he could wave goodbye to it when it left <laughs> in the motion pit ship. <laughs> I was a whole just, series okay. there. Isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have to tell you, okay. I just love that you guys have caught all of these references. Now, let me tell you why. Let me tell you. You know what? There is a story behind every single moment. You could pick any moment in any of our episodes, and there's a story behind it. And let me tell you the story behind that little astronaut. Okay. Obviously, the Enterprise is a CGI model, Mm -hmm. and the dry dock is a CGI model. But our amazing VFX supervisor, Mark Bell, did the most amazing job on the model of the Enterprise and the dry dock. I mean, I believe that our model of the Enterprise is absolutely second to none. It looks like the original series model. It was made to look like we were actually shooting a model, and, uh, and he did the most fantastic job with it. But in that shot... That specific shot, when the Enterprise is pulling in, I wanted something in the shot to show scale. Mm-hmm. I wanted something that showed scale, which I'm sure is exactly what the director was thinking in the motion picture Yeah, when they had the little guy waving. <laughs> However, so you listen to that. Let me tell you what we did. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Bell literally cut out initially. This is not what we ended up with. But initially, I told him I wanted a little guy in there. And he cut out the guy from the motion picture and, <laughs> okay. and, and put him in there and showed it to me. And I said, okay, first of all, I don't think we better use actual footage from the motion picture. Mm-hmm. Yep. Number one. <laughs> Number two, I don't feel like it should be the same guy anyway. Right. It shouldn't look exactly the same. The lighting's different. The, uh, the outfit that he was wearing should be different. So let me tell you what we did. Do you remember our very first episode when Jamie Bamber and Sulu were out on the hall yes, with yes. phasers cleaning off the, the stuff that was stuck on the hall? Absolutely. Do you remember when Jamie – do you remember what they were wearing? They were wearing yes. the EVA suits, the, the exact same series. EVA suits – from the original series that they established in the Tholian web. Okay. When Jamie Bamber gets blown off the off of the ship and he goes flipping end over end out into space, well that wasn't Jamie Bamber. We couldn't 
spin Jamie Bamber around. You know, <laughs> you can't suspend him on cables and spin him or something. That was a CGI character yeah. that we had somebody create. And as we were discussing this particular shot of the Enterprise pulling in, I thought, wait a minute. Let's go back and find the guy who made that CGI model of the character in the EVA suit and have him make that character waving. Mm. So I contacted uh, Ken, Kenny, this guy, a friend of ours, and, uh, and he was the one that – and I, I contacted him. And now remember, this was four years ago. Yeah. And I said, Ken, do you still have that CGI character in the EVA suit? And he said, yeah, I think so. And I said, let me send you a shot, and I want you to light him to look like he's in this shot. So the light's coming from a particular direction and a certain color temperature. Make it look like he belongs in here. And then I want him to be waving. So he created... He he animated that character to do that, and we dropped him into the shot. And so now it's custom made for the shot, and it references the motion picture, but it's different. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing the exact TOS EVA Gosh. suit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's perfect. It was it was it was, uh, it was a nice touch, and yeah. well, I know it's a lot of effort, but well worth it. You know. Thank so, you. Uh, well, it, <laughs> it's worth it to hear. It's worth it when people like you notice it. Well, you know, we're, we're filmmakers and fans, so, so yeah. you know, we, we, we notice these things. The other, the other thing I really liked in the, I meant to say, in the mirror episode was the fact that you were able to do an alternate mirror credits with, with you know, yes! that, version, <laughs> that version of the mission statement and everything. Yes! It was, was, was really fun. I was like, wow, okay, this is cool. <laughs> you know what's funny is, and that was an afterthought, Right, right. <laughs> it was an afterthought. I uh, I do a lot of the music. Um, I don't know if you know that, but there are also some videos on our website. We've had original music created, written and and scored and performed by a full orchestra uh, by a very talented composer named Andy Farber. He joined us on episode four, and he wrote original music for episode four five, six, and then uh, 10 and 11. But before Andy joined us for episodes one, two, and three, and then again for, uh, for, the rest, for some of the other episodes, I did some original music. Whenever there were moments that I felt needed something different or I wanted something in particular that didn't exist in the original series musics, I created it myself. I'm a I'm a music composer, producer as well. And uh, as we were in post-production for the Mirror episode, I was working on the music for that episode. I did a lot of original tracks for it. And as I was working on the music, I thought to myself, I should add something to the original series theme song. So let me, I should, what should I add to it? What should I add to the original series music theme for the opening credits 
to make it seem more like the mirror universe. And what I decided to do was to add a snare drum. A snare drum cadence that would make it sound more militaristic. Uh, and, uh, and I even added, like, I think a gong uh, a couple of places. But as I was adding the snare drum and playing in some of these other instruments, I thought to myself, wait a minute. If we are in the mirror universe, Captain Kirk's mission statement would not reflect the prime federation <laughs> mm. starfleet universe it would be more reflective of what the mirror universe's mission statement is so i wrote a whole new opening and recorded a whole new narration to make it more in keeping with the mirror universe very creative did did like that i thought that was a nice touch and uh, thank you he really, really thank enjoyed you. that <laughs> to subjugate strange new worlds <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 again even the music um you know felt feels absolutely right across this series you know um obviously in the final episode it was nice that you were start, starting to incorporate some of the uh, the motion picture yes. uh, yeah. theme yes. as well which was a nice bridge but again all your act outs and everything had exactly the um the right feel and tone to the original series um so and so, may, you know, may i may i thank you again let me thank you again for that comment because i was the one who edited the episodes and then i would take the edited episode and import it into pro tools and i would sit there for days and days and days and days and days going through original series tracks of music looking for just the right uh, emotional music cue to match the moment. And in many cases, I would edit them and, and stretch them or squeeze them or pitch shift them or combine them with another track or even play something new over top of them, um, you know, and worked very, very hard in the music selection and the music editing for our series because... I'm because of my long love and career in music. I've always felt that the original series music was so crucial to the feel and and uh, and the emotional tone of the original series. So I was very particular about the music tracks that were chosen. No, definitely. It, it really works. It really works. Um, oh, by the way, one other thing I meant to ask. Um, I'm sorry, I'm jumping sort of all over the place here. But it's, no, no, so feel free. It's because I, I keep, I must start making notes. I, I don't do it. I do it on the fly and, it, <laughs> and it's not right. Um, back, to, back to your cast. Um, Kim Stinger, who plays Ahura. Um, is it yes. right that she, she was actually, she played Ahura in some other fan films as well. That before. is correct joining you guys that is okay. correct and i that is correct in fact that's where i met her right i right. met her i met her working on another fan production and when i when i uh when i st was putting my cast together uh, i contacted her and said hey uh would you be interested in joining this production and she agreed 
And uh, she was wonderful. Yeah. But she embodies the role. Well, again, like all the cast, we said this about all of them, but it's true. You know, you, you kind of, uh, it's not a hard buy to believe that she's Nichelle Nichols. You know, it's, 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 it, it works. It totally yeah, works. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll tell you what, you, it was such an amazing privilege when we premiered our first episode at Phoenix Comic-Con four years ago. I sat in the front row and on one side of me sat Kim Stinger and on the other side of me sat Nichelle Nichols. Oh, cool. <laughs> Nichelle, Nichols, Nichelle Nichols happened to be a guest of that convention as I was. And I invited her to come to the screening of our premiere episode. And she came and sat there beside me with Kim Stinger. And Kim had the privilege of sitting there with Nichelle Nichols and watching Nichelle Nichols watch Kim Stinger play Uhura um, and then watch them interact together <laughs> after, the, after the premiere, after the screening was unforgettable. That's amazing. What a privilege. Never forget that, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we could literally, I could literally talk to you about this all night, quite literally. And uh, any any of our regular listeners will know that that's true in my case. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I've got to ask as well. I mean, uh, moving slightly away from Star Trek continues. Um, sure. I really want to ask you, as a Star Trek fan, what you think of some of the other iterations of Star Trek. Um, you, you know, like, like, for example, first question, I've asked other Star Trek fans this. Do you or do you not consider the animated series canon, for example? Although probably not, because your, your, your series doesn't carry on from that, does it? But, you know. No, no, <laughs> so. it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, you know what? I, uh, I don't have, first of all, let me, let me take the last part of your question first. I don't have any strong feelings about the animated series. Um, when I was a little boy and the animated series came on, uh, I was like, meh, it's okay. Um, it was okay. And I liked that it was the original actors voicing the characters, but you know, it didn't really resonate with me. All of the subsequent incarnations of Star Trek, uh, had their own style. They had their own voice and they were indicative of the time they were, they were produced. Um, times changed from the original series uh, to to the 80s. You know, the difference between what was going on in the 60s, the style of television, the social uh, climate, those things all changed from the 80s into the 90s, into the 2000s. And each incarnation of Star Trek, I think, was indicative of its period. Now, I appreciate them all. For what they were, but none of them resonated with me like the original series. Uh, for me, TOS was the introduction into a new world. Uh, it opened up a whole new universe for me creatively and w in imagination. And uh, none of the subsequent series resonated with me like the original series did now having said that there are hundreds of thousands of me 
who feel exactly the same way about Next Generation that I feel about TOS. And there are hundreds of thousands of people that feel exactly the same way about DS9 or Voyager or Enterprise or Discovery, the way that I feel about TOS. So my feeling about it is, for God's sake, live and let live. Let people enjoy what they enjoy. No one has to be universally accepted to be better than the others. We can each love and respond to what we what resonates with us. And so, so my feeling about all the subsequent series is they all served a particular purpose in the Star Trek universe. And, uh, and I feel the same way about Discovery. Discovery is not made for me. This is an important point. Discovery, I'm not their target audience. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a fan of the original. I love the original, clearly. And I am a fan of Star Trek. I will endeavor to support Star Trek in whatever incarnation, although nothing will resonate with me personally like the original series. But I appreciate what J.J. did. I appreciate what Discovery is doing. And I appreciate that it's introducing a whole new generation to Star Trek. And in that sense, I'm grateful for it and, uh, and I applaud it. But I know that the people that are making Discovery aren't making it for me. They're making it for, they're casting a big net to a whole new generation of fans. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, you have a very Star Trek attitude, actually, to that, don't you? <laughs> which is, which, which I suppose is, so. Which yeah. is great. So, so, so you don't mind you don't mind the JJ films, for example. You, 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 well, I don't you mind them. You know what I mean? You know. Like they're not my cup of tea. But I, I don't mind them. You know what the best part? The best thing I can say about the JJ movies is they probably, they probably encouraged a lot of young people to go back and watch the original series. Mm, that's very true. They probably, they probably got a lot of people to go, hey, you know, this was fun. This was a fun popcorn adventure movie. Wasn't there, wasn't there a Star Trek like 50 years ago? And in as much as J.J.'s movies encouraged young people to go back and check out what made Star Trek Star Trek in the first place. Check out why we are still talking about Star Trek 55 years later. Um, in as much as it encouraged a new generation of people to introduce them to the original series, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, well, to be, to be honest, I mean, for me, I found the original series through the Star Trek movies. You know, when I say there the movies, go. I mean the original movies with, with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Sure. Um, sure. You know, you know I... I um, Wrath of Khan and Search for Spark and, and Voyage Home, etc. Um, you know, you know that they, they were what made me sort of go back and um, watch the original series and and love the original series. So, exactly, so absolutely, exactly. It's, 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 and you it know what else feeds one another? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And let me say this: I have a a pretty large fan following in the anime industry because of my voice acting work. Um, between myself and Todd and Chuck, 
we have a pretty large fan following in the anime industry. Now, anime fans may not necessarily be sci-fi fans. And anime fans may be younger. They may skew a little younger. And they may not be Star Trek fans. But guess what? Because they're fans of my voice acting, they'll go and watch Star Trek Continues. And because they like Star Trek Continues, they're going to go back and watch the original series of Star Trek. So it could be very legitimately argued that Star Trek Continues has actually generated new fans for CBS and for Star Trek in general. Because of what we've done, we've brought a whole different generation, a whole different target audience, if you will, uh, to Star Trek, who would never otherwise have watched it. Grant Imahara. Grant Imahara has probably brought Mythbusters fans <laughs> to Star Trek. And Todd and Chuck and I have brought anime fans to Star Trek. I mean... <clears throat> What is obviously you've already explained, uh, you know, the difficulties now with making um, Star Trek fan films because of, you know, a, a few ruining it for the bigger picture, if you like. But uh, so they've now got very stringent rules on that. What what is from from your point of view, what does that leave the the the, the future? I mean, are we going to get any more maybe shorter Star Trek continues adventures or are you done with it? I mean, you, you got us to the point where the five-year mission ended anyway. Um, you, you, you know, what, what, what is the future is from, from your perspective on, on this? Well, um, I'm very, I'm, I'm very happy that we were able to end our series. You know, when the fan film guidelines were released and put in place, CBS could have very easily called me and said, stop what you're doing right now, or we will sue your ass, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They could have very easily called me and said, stop now, cease and desist now. And by the way, when the fan film guidelines were released, we were finishing up episode eight. Uh, ah, right. Okay. They could have very easily and legitimately called me and said, stop what you're doing right now. But they didn't. They knew that my intention was, my intention was always to complete the original series. They knew that my intention was to was was that I had a finite ending in mind. Mm. They knew that. And so I am extremely grateful that we were able to complete what we started. We had raised the money. The money was in the bank. Fans had given it. We had the stories written. And so I am extremely grateful that we were able to finish what we started. Um, what does the future hold? Well, as Mr. Spock 
was fond of saying, I'd like to always think that there are always possibilities. Possibilities, mm. yes. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. The climate toward fan productions could change a year from now. Anything's possible. Um, I don't know what the future holds, but I would love to think that maybe a couple of years from now, we might get together and make a movie, make a make a Star Trek continues movie, like uh, like a like a Wrath of Khan era film. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, something in the monster maroon uniforms. I I didn't much care for I didn't much care for the motion picture uniforms, but but uh, but the but the but Wrath of Khan those were cool. Yeah. So it might be yeah. really it might be really neat to come back in a, two or three years. And make a, a film that would happen that would take place in between the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. I don't know what the story would be. That's purely just pie in the sky. Me, uh, just kind of talking off the top of my head here. I'd like to think that that might be a possibility. Just make sure you know. write a British officer in it, won't you? You know, British Starfleet <laughs> officer. Um, you know, in his in his forties. You know, um, I, 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 I might I might know somebody that, uh, that 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 could potentially fill that. You know, and, oh, uh, and wouldn't want to get paid for it either. Well, so so I so I I I might I'd like to think that there might be a possibility for something like that. It would really be fun to return to it. Uh, in a few years, um, that would be really neat, but that will never happen ever unless, um, unless the guidelines change in some way. Yeah. Well, I must admit, as far as my head cannon is concerned, I mean, this is, this is, uh, season four or year five however, however you want to look at it um you know I, I think it really works and uh i am massively impressed um a little envious but in a good way <laughs> um, and and you know i can really see that uh you, you know you put the the labor of love in this and and you know you got to fulfill a, a dream you know to uh to, to portray very Captain much so. kirk and it'll be there forever. So, so that's, that's really cool, you know? Yes, very much so. And you know what? Everybody involved, let me say, you guys, everybody involved, we fully understand that there are tens of thousands of people that are vicariously living through us. Mm. Everybody, as we've been making these episodes, as we've been making these episodes, like, you know, the original series people, you know, those actors back in the 60s, they had no idea what they were making. They thought it was some cheesy sci-fi TV show, and, uh, and it was a nice gig to have for a few years, but it would be over and forgotten, and they would move on to another job. None of them ever imagined that, that, you know, that Star Trek would have had the impact that it ended up having. But everybody involved in Star Trek Continues, we knew... At the moment, as we were shooting these things, we knew that there were tens of thousands of people around the world who were living vicariously through us. We knew that there were people who would love to imagine themselves being a part of this. And we've and I've got the fan letters to prove it. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of people, a lot of people who who 
you know, who were vicariously enjoying and experiencing the 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 fifth year of the five year mission. Oh yeah. Um, and, well, and I have to admit, re- I, I wished I was part of it. You know, it, it, it's I, I liked it that much, and I thought, God, I'd love to have been involved in this. You know, it's it's awesome. Oh yeah, and um, and we and we and we fully appreciate that, and we were. We were so humbled and honored to know that there were people out there that felt that way about it. We, we exactly, we, we, we knew that and we appreciated it so much. And, um, and that, and that made it all the more special knowing as we were standing there under the lights in uniform on set, making these episodes, we, we were aware of the fact that we had a we had a very rare privilege to um you know to be to be uh, living an experience on behalf of so many people. Yeah. Now I uh, when I, when I was about ten years old, I, I I did a Star Trek play at school where I played Kirk and I wrote, produced, directed it, and did all that. And sadly, oh my gosh, this I love this it. Well, annoyingly this was before camcorders were kind of commonplace you know they were around uh, but we, we didn't yep. so there is no record of it at all there's no recording not even a photograph and oh, the, the, wow. the closest the closest i got was um uh about a decade later uh i went to um uh universal studios orlando and i don't know whether you remember this but they used to do a thing called the star trek experience which i was, remember it <laughs> yes yeah. And me and my, uh, well. that's, that's still on a, on a VHS somewhere. Me and my <laughs> bait, uh, we went and we, we were, we were Kirk and Spock in this, uh, this, oh, um, essentially blue screen created, uh, you know, set. Um, and oh and it was terrible and it was it. terrible because they wouldn't let you rehearse it so you went in and you just did it from cue cards on the fly and uh yeah it, it was oh pre- gosh, it was pretty awful <laughs> you know what i you know what no it sounds wonderful but i tell you you know you know when i was a little boy there were no there was no such thing as camcorders um when i fell in love with star trek and was doing my my thing there were no such thing as camcorders, but there was eight millimeter movie cameras. Oh yeah, and and Super Eight ultimately Super Eight millimeter movie cameras after that, and we had one. And to this day, you could go online. I don't know if you if you've done that, but if you go to YouTube, you could find several of my home movies from when I was ten years old, playing Captain Kirk with the little cardboard. <laughs> little cardboard sets that I built and uniforms that I made with my friends. And I am so glad to have those home movies from literally 40 years ago converted, you know, into video uh, now that I've done what I've done. And if, you know, if you could go back in time and tell that little boy that one day he would wear a perfect uniform and stand on a perfect recreation of the bridge and play his childhood hero, he would have laughed in your face and would have never would have never believed it. But but I've had a rare privilege to to have had a childhood dream come true. Um, Star Trek continues is my love letter to Star Trek, and I will forever be grateful not only to to all of the people that that were part of the cast and crew to make it, but also the 
hundreds of thousands and perhaps millions of people around the world that that have enjoyed it and embraced it as they have. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll have a few more following this podcast because um, yeah. I, I really do urge anyone who is a, a Star Trek fan or, or just really a fan of filmmaking, you know, this this jolly inspiring stuff to watch this. So um, thank you. For they, that. they can thank find you. it at Star Trek continues dot com. That's correct, isn't it? That is correct. Star Trek continues dot com. The episodes are all free to watch. Uh, there are tons of additional wonderful videos and materials, uh, videos about the making of our planet set, engineering, uh, features about some of the stories that were told, behind the scenes videos, music, scoring videos, um, bloopers, all kinds of great. Even on our website, you can even take a virtual tour of our soundstage and walk through it. Literally use the arrow keys on your computer to walk through and turn around and look 360 degrees in every set and 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 walk through the the, the studio that we've built um, and like us on Facebook follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and and tell anybody you know uh, about Star Trek Continues we'd be most grateful <laughs> alright well Keith where can people find your work Okay, well, uh, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, that's E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name. Oh, that's uh, great. There, there you go. Uh, <laughs> like what I did there. Uh, there are some short films that I've written, produced, directed, um, that you can see there, obviously all with no money. Uh, <laughs> caveat. <laughs> um, uh, or you can obviously get in touch through, through, the, uh, through the podcast. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us a rating and review on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. So that just leaves us to say thank you to our guests. Thank you, Vic, for coming on. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, guys. I I love so very dearly talking about this production with people who you know, who really enjoyed it and appreciated it and especially saw and picked up a lot of the subtleties that, that you guys did. So I, I'm very grateful for the chance to have chatted with you. Oh, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it has indeed. And I will tell all my Star Trek fans to go see it because it is, it is the final season, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thank you to you, the listener, for uh, checking in on us again. Uh, and please join us for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before.